For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Use the code word REBEL for a discount on pillows, sheets, pet beds, and everything else at MyPillow.com. Woo! Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Hope you're having a great week. I am neck deep into the CrossFit games. It started yesterday. I'm having so much fun watching that. I watched the Fortnite World Cup last weekend. Yes, that's right, the Fortnite World Cup. I was amazed. My son and I watched that, and I was amazed at that. Listen to this. The winner of the CrossFit Games, fittest man, fittest woman on earth, get $300,000. And that is years and years and years of blood, sweat, tears, and training all to culminate in this one day. Last weekend at the Fortnite World Cup, a 16-year-old won the solo 100-man winner-take-all and took home $3 million. Woo! $3 million. So maybe your kid's video game playing might amount to something. Who knows? Gary Chapman on the podcast today. I am so excited for this one. It is really, it's a great, great podcast. We had a ball talking to Gary Chapman. I uh, read this on a review of his book. It says, does your spouse hear what you say, but not what you mean? Ooh, anyone ever had that? Hear what you say, not what you mean. Are you tired of misunderstandings and conversations that go in circles but get you nowhere? Ooh, then Gary Chapman is the man for the job. Today's podcast is sponsored by SaveTheStorks.com and PolicyGenius.com. Save the Storks, my favorite pro-life organization, and Policy Genius, the new insurance sponsor of Rebel Parenting. Mm, love those guys. Let's jump into this. Don't waste any more time. Here is Gary Chapman on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. All right, Rebels, thank you so much for joining us this morning. What a treat. Gary Chapman on the podcast today. Gary, thank you so much for being here. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Definitely. Most people will know you from your first book, The Five Love Languages. And honestly, how long has that book been out? <laughs> it's been out 27 years. Really? Every wow. Year, every year it sells more than the year before for 27 years. Congratulations. What a treat. My goodness, that's so unique. And I got to tell you, just understanding the basic premise of the book of we all speak a language, not all of us speak the same language. And where, you know, I might like acts of service or physical touch, Laura might like words of encouragement, uh, you know, different things. And understanding, you know, I've been in so many situations where some person's like, man, I give and I give and I give and they just don't, they don't appreciate it at all. And it's like, that's other language. But I'm really yeah. good at speaking that language. I want to give to you and I want you to receive it the way I want you to, you know. That book is so revolutionary. And, you know, every now and then you recommend to someone like, oh, I know, I know, five love. And you're like, no, 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 clearly not. Like, read the book. Figure out your kids' language. Figure out your parents' language. Yeah. Figure out your coworkers' language. I mean, that helps in every relationship you've got. It sure does. It really does. It makes a huge difference. You know, when I do marriage seminars around the country on Saturdays, I'll have half a dozen couples at least every Saturday come up and say, we were that close to divorce. Wow. Someone gave us your book on the love languages, and the lights came on. 
and we look back over our life and realize how we had missed each other. Mm. You know, we were sincere, but we had missed each other. And we tried it. You know, we tried speaking each other's language, and it literally saved our marriage. Wow. I think because uh, our deepest emotional need on the human level is the need to feel loved by the yeah. significant people in our lives. Mm. And when you learn how to speak each other's language, the love tank fills up, and mm. you really do feel loved. And it changes the whole emotional climate in the marriage. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and you can see someone's trying, and they're just not reaching you, and what a kind of hopeless feeling that can be like, oh my goodness, you know, you're trying and trying and trying and you're never reaching me. And then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and it's like, whoa, I remember I did this child temperament test and it was giving me new ways to work with my son. And in the middle of it, I stopped and ran in the other room to compliment him because I knew he'd feel it. And the look on his face, it was like, oh, I loved you and you felt it. I can't believe, I felt so good. It was like that thing, you want to reach your kids, you want to reach your spouse. And when you finally see it, it's just this sense of relief, like, oh, I just want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how much I care about you. And if I can't, you know, I was in a relationship years and years ago and I just couldn't reach that person and I just kept shooting in the dark and it just never hit that target. Just couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, I think the points you make that this the concept applies not only in a marriage, but it applies to children. It applies oh. to single adults in their relationship with their parents, their siblings, their college roommates, mm -hmm. you know, their dating partners. Uh, what makes one of us feel loved doesn't make another feel loved. Mm. And we have to learn how to communicate love in a way that's meaningful to the mm -hmm. other person. Mm -hmm. That's right. And when there's only one narrative in your brain of this is how I experience love, everyone should experience love that way. And then to hear, wait, there are other ways to show love to people and they might experience it differently from me is just like that light bulb. It's just amazing. So in the last 27 years, having written that and having gotten, I mean, a million letters and you're doing seminars all the time and talking to people, what are the general trends you're seeing in marriage along the way? I mean, it feels like it's a little different today than it's been in the past. Yeah. Well, I think there are differences. I think you know, the fundamental issues are pretty much the same. But in today's world, they express themselves in different ways. Mm. For example, we know that technology is much more a factor in life now uh, than it was, you know, 30 years ago. And the whole issue of uh, a wife or a husband uh, who is spending time on Facebook, you know, which we all love Facebook. But <laughs> the one will feel like every time I look at you, you're on Facebook. Yes. Mm. All the time, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and what they're saying is, I'm missing out on you. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I was married to you, but it seems to me like you're married to Facebook or something else, you know. And so uh, learning how to make the most of technology and let technology bring us together rather than take us apart is a whole issue that's new in today's world. And a lot of couples haven't learned how to do that. And they're in the process, but they haven't learned that yet. Mm -hmm. because, you know, let's face it, there's tremendous value in technology. And uh, today we can do what we're doing today, you know, talk yeah. to people yeah. all over all over the world. So great things in technology, but we need to think in terms of how can it bring us together rather than dividing us. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. For I think that's sure. fantastic. That's definitely fantastic. Your new book, by the way, fantastic title. 
Did you think of that title on your own? I just, I'm a writer, and so I know there's so much back and forth with publishers on cover design and titles and all of that. Your new book, Now You're Speaking My Language, it says exactly what it ought to say. It's a perfect title. You pick it up and you're like, oh, yeah, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Now you're speaking my language. You know, when you feel understood, when it creates so much more intimacy. It creates so much more togetherness. What was it like coming up with this? You know, was it based essentially on the last 27 years of love languages being like, oh, this communication thing is a really big deal? Well, that title, actually, I have to give credit to my publisher. I think they were trying to buy in on the five love languages <laughs> when they say, now you're speaking my language. And a lot of people, when they see the book, they think, oh, this must be more about love languages. Well, it's really not about mm-hmm. love languages. Right. It's about the real issue of talking and listening to each other. Mm. We call it communication. And of course, there's a whole section in the book on the covenant marriage as opposed to contract marriage. And those are very, very different. And we discuss that in the book. And there's a whole section on the whole area of intimacy, you know, intellectual intimacy, emotional, social, spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy. Uh, So it's really about communicating, sharing life with each other mm-hmm. so that you're you're understanding each other. You're learning how to complement each other, learning how to work together as a team. Uh, that's the heart of the book. But it, mm-hmm. it has to do with, yeah, you're speaking my language. I'm getting this now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Go ahead. Well, I just, you touched on something at the beginning, covenant marriage and contract marriage. Could you just share the distinction between those two? Yeah, you know, I think uh, contract marriage basically is... I'll do this if you do that. Oh, yeah. You know, we sign a contract when we lease a car. Yeah. If you pay monthly payments, you get to drive the car. Right. You stop making the payments, Mm -hmm. you lose the car. Mm -hmm. And I think many people enter marriage, they wouldn't say it's a contract marriage, but in their mind, I'm going to make you happy if you make me happy. Yeah. Going to be kind to you, or they fall you're... into it. They work it. Yep. You know, it starts to work itself out. You know, over time, like all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? I need you to do da 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 da, and I'm not going to do this until you do that. Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Whereas a covenant marriage, and really a contract marriage, is more in is thinking in terms of what can I get out of this? I make a contract for the car because I want to drive the car. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I make a contract with a person I'm going to marry because. I want you to make me happy. <laughs> and I have the idea. I'm going to be happy married to you. Yep. And so a covenant marriage is really thinking about the other person. Mm. It's how can I enrich your life? Now, certainly we want to be loved. No question about that. But a covenant marriage is made for the benefit of the other person. If, for example, you take the whole concept of God's covenant that he made with Israel, that he makes with us, it was all out of God's love for us that he made a covenant with us. Mm. Uh, it was for our benefit, not his benefit, for our benefit. And so also the covenant is unconditional. It's not, I'm going to love you if you love me. It's, um, I'm going to love you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be kind to you if you're kind to me. No, no, no. I'm going to be kind to you. A covenant is reaching out for the other person, and it's unconditional, and it has no time limits. You lease a car, you lease it for three years, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. The bill you get to keep it. No, marriage is a covenant that we make for a lifetime with each other. I'm going to be here for you no matter what happens. You know, we say in the wedding ceremony, in sickness and in health, yeah, poverty and in wealth. In good times and bad. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> That's a covenant. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, that reminds me. I was talking to Neil T. Anderson of a similar topic on this. And so I want to ask you the same question. 
we're finding more and more where, because you talk about uh, self-revelation in marriage, how it's important to understand who you are and, and how you tick and what you need, all those types of things. We're finding a lot of people that come to us and are saying, you know, there's some issues going on. There might be some trauma in the past. There might be some addiction or some pornography, something going on. I really want to work on the marriage. You know, I really want to go to counseling. I want to see a therapist or I want to go to a pastor or, you know, go to a marriage seminar, read a book together. And my spouse just isn't interested. You know, they just don't want to work on it. Yeah, I was talking to Neil Anderson. He was essentially like, suck it up, buttercup. You got to work at it. You know, like it may not be that way. For you, and I hear that, but I just, you know, when we were we were at a homeschool convention a couple weeks ago, and I talked to, I'll be honest, quite a few wives whose husbands didn't really want to work on the marriage. Yeah, they just wanted good. the wife to stop harping on them, stop complaining, yeah. just yeah. be content. Why do I have to be fixed? You know, kind of thing. And there was some immorality going on. What do you do when you're the one spouse that is more self-aware and does want to work and your other part is like, nope, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, status quo. Well, you're right. That, that's all too common. Two or three things I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, we all say this. We all know this. You cannot change your spouse. Yes. Okay? But we can influence our spouse. Mm. So here's my approach. Okay, so your spouse will not come with you for counseling or will not read a book with you, will not go to a marriage conference with you. Right. All right. Let's, you go to those things. You read the book. You go to the conference. You go for counseling. And think in terms of how can I have a positive influence on my spouse? You can't change them, but you can influence them. And in fact, we do influence each other every single day Mm -hmm. in a healthy marriage. For example, you come home from work. You go find your spouse, you give them a hug, you give them a greeting, you talk about your day, and then you say, what can I do to help you this evening? You've just had a positive influence on them. Uh (laughs) Also, on the other hand, you come home, you don't go find your spouse. You go get something to drink. You sit down in front of the computer or the television. You've influenced them Mm -hmm. in a negative way. You've said, you're not important in my life. So the power of influence is often overlooked. So here's what I suggest to a person in that situation. First of all, start with the love language. Learn your spouse's love language and start speaking it on a regular basis for six months. Not six weeks, six months. Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak their love language at least once a week for six months, no matter how they treat me. Mm -hmm. Okay? And let's just see what happens. And here's what I've seen happen time and time again. About three months into it, the person is beginning to think, what is going on? You've been awfully nice to me lately. And they're going to start asking you, why are you being so nice to me? And you say, well, you know, honey, I've been reading a book or I've been getting some counseling and I'm trying to learn how to be a better husband or a better wife. Mm. And maybe I am. If you're noticing it, maybe I am getting better. So you keep doing it. You know, and by the time the six months is over, many, many times that other person begins to warm up to you ask, how can I be a better husband or how can I be a better wife? And now you're on a good track. Yeah. See, here's what happens so many times. The spouse will complain and complain and complain and complain and then finally say, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm out of here. Yes. And their spouse says, good riddance. I'm tired of all your junk anyway. But if you give them six months of unconditional love and the right love language, and then you say, and they don't change, 
then you say, you know, honey, I don't know how you feel about us, but I really feel like I've been trying to be the best wife, the best husband I can be. And it seems to me like you're not really interested. So I made a decision. I'm going to move in with my mother. I'm not going to abandon you. If you really do want help and you really do want me to be your spouse, Mm -hmm. you're willing to deal with the problem, then I'm willing to go with you for counseling. But right now I'm going to move out because I love you too much to sit here and do nothing. It's tough love. Okay. Yep. Yep. You see, it's tough love following tender love for six months. Right, right, right. It's now, not, it's so not complaining and complaining and, and getting angry out. and making ultimatums and all those things and then saying, well, I'm going to experience tough love. And it's like, oof. You yep. know, that is very, very interesting because you're right. When it's been just constant bickering, constant complaining, and then all of a sudden this tough love, quote unquote, and the other person's like, good, go to your mom's finally. You know, I'll get a little peace and quiet for a while. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's the reality that the most powerful influence you can have on your spouse is to love them unconditionally in the right love language over an extended period of time. Mm. I can't guarantee you that they will reciprocate, but I can say when the end of the six months is over, you can look yourself in the mirror, you can look God in the face, you can know you did the most powerful thing you could do, then yep. you apply the tough love and and many times the tough love is when they say, wow, man, she was so nice for so long. I, man, i got to deal with some yep. stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they start moving, and now there can be genuine reconciliation. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. You know, that's very, very interesting, Gary. That's very interesting. I'm thinking of a couple. I was in a training, and one of the, uh, there was a, a woman there, and people had spoken a little negatively about her husband. And I asked her about their relationship and she said, oh my goodness, man, when we first got married, it was just yelling and screaming and throwing stuff and breaking dishes and it never got physical against each other, but it was definitely a volatile, loud, screaming marriage often. And she said, oh, these trainings have helped so much. The counseling's helped, the trainings have helped, you know, all these things. And I was like, oh, has your husband come too? And she goes, oh no, he's never gone. I'm like, never one time? Nope, no interest, none at all. And I said, what's your marriage like now? And she's like, oh, it's fantastic. We have a great marriage. And she's the only one that was doing the work in the marriage. Literally the only one. And from afar, I watched them. And they have a very close, intimate, really neat relationship. And I got to be honest, the self-righteous person in me is like, that guy... Gets all this benefit, did no work at all. His wife's done all the work in that, and she got what she wanted. She's got a close, intimate, loving, connected relationship, and that's worth it. It really is. Wow. Mm. It's hard to resist unconditional love. I mean, you can, but it's hard. Mm Mm-hmm. A person is reaching out to you, being kind to you, and applying the things they've learned in a book or in counseling, and they're, they're trying to build this relationship with you, and they're not being critical of you. There's just something about that that draws you to that person, mm-hmm. and the person does get what they want. They get a response on the part of the other person, and the other person has no idea how all this happened, but they yeah. just know, <laughs> I'm loved, and I love you, honey. You know I love you, right? Yeah, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> man, That's man. Awesome. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel Parenting. 
Hey Rebels, this portion of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Save the Storks. Save the Storks helps moms with an unplanned pregnancy. And that's my story. I was an unplanned pregnancy. My birth mom was 16 and faced an uphill battle. And a pregnancy resource center in her area helped her carry me all the way to fruition and then helped adopt me into my family. And Save the Storks helps pregnancy resource centers across the country with stork buses providing mobile ultrasound machines where four out of five moms choose life after seeing their baby on an ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat. Over 6,000 babies have been saved on stork buses. Please support Save the Storks with your prayers and visit savethestorks.com to become a monthly sponsor. Join the movement and help us revolutionize the meaning of pro-life. For more information, visit savethestorks.com. Welcome back to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us? Gary, how do you start building it back when it's been lost? You know, we deal with a lot of couples that, a lot of couples where whether the husband found porn or the wife found porn during the marriage or before the marriage, all of a sudden it comes out. I've been looking at this for a long time. I'm really struggling with it. And there's this huge break where, and I'm just going to say it's more often the husband that's into it. You know, it's gaining ground with wives, but we meet so many women that are devastated. I mean, they feel so betrayed. They had no idea. They thought, you know, they lived one life and now it feels like they live a totally different life. Mm -hmm. And, they don't want to get divorced. You know, they've got friends that are telling them that they need to and they have to and all these different things. They don't want to get divorced. They want the marriage they always wanted, but they just feel so hurt. When you feel so wounded, how do you start building the communication back? When you just, you know, when the husband reaches out to touch you and you're jerking your arm away, like, I just don't even want you to touch me. That's not going to work, obviously. What are some of those early steps to try to soften our hearts back towards a spouse that may be estrayed? Well, I think you're certainly right in the reality that it is a deep pain for a wife when she discovers her husband's involved in porn. Mm-hmm. You know, they sit in my office, and the most common thing I hear is, what is wrong with me mm. that they have to go into an unreal world, you know, and it's just deeply painful mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. wife. And I think you can't deny that pain. Yeah. You can't act like, uh, you know, this is not a big deal to me. It is devastating. And I think, first of all, there has to be time for you and God just to talk about your pain and your hurt mm-hmm. and, and asking God for wisdom or where do I go from mm-hmm. here? What do I do from here? I mean, the scriptures do say that if we ask for wisdom, God will give us wisdom. Yeah. So I think that's that's really the first step is just to ask God, where do I go? How do I respond? You know, because God's fully aware of being rejected. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's the first thing. I think, secondly, to think in terms of where can I turn for help? Because you need to talk to somebody, but you can't talk to everybody. Yes. Uh, so Ooh, yeah. where do I turn for help? Is, is there a support group in my town that deals with this issue that maybe I can go and learn some things about how to process my emotions? Or is there a book that I might read that would be helpful for me in processing my emotions? Uh, those kind of things. Because first of all, you have to deal with your own pain and your own hurt because you really cannot do much else until you process that a little bit. Mm. 
And I think you certainly share with your spouse your deep pain and your deep hurt. Now, nothing's to be gained by, you know, yelling at them and screaming at them and calling them nasty names and all that kind of thing. I understand the anger. And we feel angry when people have done us wrong. And anger is a healthy emotion. Yes. But yeah. how we handle anger is really important. Mm-hmm. And so yelling and screaming and tell them how awful they are doesn't make things better. It may make you feel a little better at the moment, but yeah. it doesn't heal anything. So I think, but honestly <laughs> saying to them, you know, honey, I don't know if you understand this, but this is the most painful thing that's ever happened in my life. I thought you loved me. I thought I was enough for you. I've given my life to you. And when I hear what I've just discovered that you're doing, it's the most painful thing I've ever had in my life. Mm. Just want you to know where I am, where I'm coming from. So you're not lambasting them. You're just sharing your honest thoughts, your honest feelings with them. And they have to walk away and think about that. Mm -hmm. You're not condemning them. You're just sharing your hurt and your pain. It has to touch their heart to realize that they have hurt you so deeply. And I've had men come back and say to me, Dr. Chapman, when I realized how deeply I hurt her, and she shared that with me, and she didn't lambast me. She just told me how deeply she was hurt. Man, God got a hold of my heart, and I said, i got to have help. And I went for help. And I can't believe that she's you know, been so kind to me uh, about all of this. And again, it's tender love that has a positive influence on the spouse mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. last in anger at the spouse. Uh, to me, that's the starting point. And then you do move along, either to in reading books or being involved in a support group or going to a counselor and challenging them to go to go for counseling because they're going to have to have help. If they've been involved in porn for a while, I mean, it's, as you know, it's just as addictive as cocaine. Of course. Yeah. And they're going to have to have yeah. help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So finding uh, what counselors in our city really specialize in helping people like that or is there a support group in my city for people who are on porn right and just making it available to them you know just finding out what is available you can't make them do it but you're giving them a road to walk on if they choose to walk on it uh, and that's the kind of approach i think is most productive definitely i know most people can't imagine this response but laura and i know a couple and <clears throat> the wife caught the husband looking at porn and when he looked up, she looked at him. And I know most people can never, they'll never understand this response. And they think, are you kidding? In a million years, I could never do that. She looked at him and she went, you know, I love you. And then just walked out. And he told me, he's like, I have never wanted to change more than in that moment. Like wow. it would have been so much easier had she just yelled and screamed because then I could just explain it away. You know, the yeah. matter she got, the more that she yelled, well, then I can be mad about the yelling and the screaming. But that response, she looked at me and she just said, you know, I love you and walked out. He was like, I just thought that it was that moment. It was that was it. I was getting help at yeah. that moment. Yeah, it's unconditional love and it's powerful. Mm. Yeah. You talked about the tender love and the tenderness of it. How would a wife respond when she's just so hurt and so angry? Because I get lots of the wives calling and they're just so distraught. They can't even get to the tenderness. They're just Mm -hmm. stuck in the anger and the hurt of it. What would you suggest to that wife? 
Yeah, I think that's why I said it's so important for her to process her own emotions and her own pain. Okay. You know, if your husband won't go for counseling, you go for counseling. Tell him you're going. Say, you know, I would like for you to go with me. But if you don't, obviously that's your choice. I'm going because I've got to have help. Mm. And you take the initiative. You go for counseling. And the counselor is going to help you process your emotions and True. the pain True. and hurt with you. And also talk about what is the most productive response I could have uh, in this situation. Mm. And, and you'll get to the place. Then you're getting the help that you're going to need to know how to respond to them in a more positive way. Oh. I mean, the natural thing, let's face it, by nature, it is so we're so hurtful. We want to lash out. Yeah. If we had, had something to hit them with, we'd hit them with it. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's just the natural response to, you know, when you hurt so deeply. Yeah. But. That just makes things worse. Okay. But you're taking care of yourself and processing your own emotions and then getting to the place where you can now have a more healthy response. Mm. Uh, that's the approach I think mm -hmm. is most helpful. I'll tell you the question we get when this happens is where one spouse just feels so defensive, where they're just, it feels like all of a sudden the armor is up and they feel super defensive. What does defensiveness do for a marriage? Well, I think by nature, all of us are somewhat defensive. Mm -hmm. Yes. When a spouse complains about something, uh, we're thinking, you know, wife says, for example, I just feel like we don't ever spend any time together anymore. I feel like we're ships passing in the night. Mm -hmm. And the husband will like to say, what do you mean no time together? Went to dinner Thursday night. What's wrong with you? That's a defensive response. And by nature, when someone brings up something that, is one of our failures by nature. We tend to be defensive sure. because we think we're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reality is we don't understand how our behavior often affects the other person until they tell us. And so when we get defensive, we stop the conversation. Yes. But if, when we say, well, explain that to me, honey, what do you mean we don't spend time together? And she and so she explains, well, you know, we used to take a walk together once in a while mm -hmm, after dinner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's been three months since we took a walk together. Or, you know, we used to have a weekend together once in a while. We just go off somewhere. It's been a year since we've done that. Mm -hmm. I just feel like growing apart. See, now you're listening. Now you're finding out more about what's behind that original statement. Now you're far more likely to, to be able to say, okay, I see what you're saying, honey. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to you. Okay, well, then let's plan something for next weekend or, you know, or let's go take a walk tonight. But the defensiveness stops the conversation because now they brought it up. You preach them a sermon about that's not right. You know, why would you say that? The conversation's over. You both walk away feeling distant from each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You learn to listen to them, ask questions, let them explain it to you more fully you can honestly come to a place where you can say, I see what you're saying, honey, mm -hmm. and it makes sense. Mm. So let's work on this. Sure. That's a struggle where you're married to someone that has to be right all the time. We were having a conversation just before this about another situation where the person is just always right. And they were like, well, what would happen if you said that to them? I'm like, well, the first thing they do is defend themselves because they have to be right and tell you why you're wrong in it. And you don't feel heard. You don't feel listened to. You don't feel understood and how that can break down in a marriage so quickly, that's where the intimacy just goes away. Like, you don't hear me. Yep. You're not listening. I don't feel understood. 
I wonder if in that defensiveness, there's something else going on behind why we're so committed to defending our own stance, you know? You know, basically all of our behavior grows out of a need inside of us. Yeah. And often it's an emotional need. And so defensiveness often grows out of an inner need to be appreciated or an inner need to feel that my ideas are worthwhile. And so when you bring up something that condemns something or, or communicates to me that I'm not the person I should be, the defensiveness kicks in. But it's really growing out of a need. And so on the, the person who is experiencing a defensive spouse, if they can start thinking in terms of, I wonder what's behind that behavior. I wonder why they got so defensive about that. What is it in their past that perhaps impacted that? I remember uh, in our early years of our marriage, I was we were driving down the road. I was driving. My wife was sitting in the passenger seat. And she said to me, honey, the speed limit's 55. And I said, don't tell me how to drive. Ooh. <laughs> and then there was long silence. Yeah. And later on, I started thinking, why did I respond that way? Mm. Where did that come from? And then I remembered when I was learning to drive at the age of 16, my father would sit there and say, put your signal on, put your signal on, put your brake on, put your brake on, put your brake on, look, 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 look. And as a 16-year-old, I had this feeling, he thinks I'm dumb. Mm. And I said to her later that night, honey, I've been thinking about what happened today. And I told her what I've just shared. And I said, I think I heard my daddy's voice in you. And I'm sorry. And she said, well, honey, what do you want me to do? She said, I was just trying to keep you from getting a ticket. And she said, what do you want me to do? Just say nothing and let you get the ticket? Mm. Or she said, I can make the sound of a siren, you know. Or <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> I might do in the future. And I said, why don't we try this? The next time you realize I'm speeding, just put your hand on my leg. Don't say anything. Just put your hand on my leg, and that'll be the symbol, and I'll look at the spinometer, and I'll back off. Mm. And she said, okay. So we did, and we've been doing that now for 40 years. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Is, is always try to learn something from your defensive behavior. Definitely. What was behind it? What was behind it? Definitely, definitely. Okay. That's a very self-aware person, you know, that you're thinking to yourself, why did I do that? Why, you know, that's definitely self-revelation, which you talk about a lot in the book. What happened, let's say that that situation occurred, or a couple comes to us and that situation occurred, and the husband never thinks, I wonder why I just totally snapped at you. I wonder why I yelled in the car. I wonder why, you know, there's that curiosity about reactions, the curiosity about response isn't coming up. Is there a way to influence, not change, but influence your spouse to be more self-aware or to even the importance of it? Especially, like, let's talk about with our kids. You know, if you can teach your kids to be self-aware, to understand who they are and to continually try to understand themselves better, that's a huge bonus in life. How do we even encourage the person to want to be that way? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question, and I don't think there's an easy answer. <laughs> but uh, I do think one way is after the event is over, either that evening or the next day, you say, honey, I was thinking back on what happened yesterday in the car and how you got real defensive when I said da-da-da-da-da. 
what do you think was going on inside of you mm-hmm. that made you respond that way? Mm. So at least bring it back. You yeah. Question. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, so I think another way to influence a spouse is to say to them, I, for example, I say to wives, don't ever ask your husband to read a book. <laughs> ask him if he will read the first chapter of the book mm. or read a particular chapter in a book yeah. and tell you what he thinks about it. You see, a guy will read a chapter, but you throw a whole book that, book at him, it's too much for him. Yeah. <laughs> Not all guys, but a lot of guys. Okay? Yeah. By the way, That's there's great. a really good way to ask that, too. You can say something like, you know, I'm thinking about this chapter, and I just don't know. Will you read this chapter and let me know what you think about this? I'm not sure if I agree with all the things. And Asking advice or opinion, it's more than, hey, can you read this chapter? It's really going to help you. Because you, you know? need it. Yeah. <laughs> you really need this. need this chapter. I think I think this is going to apply to you a lot if you read this. Yeah. But if it's the... I don't know. I want to believe this to be true. I'm not quite sure. You know, what do you think of yeah, that? There's different ways to ask those questions, I think. Yeah. Exactly. And a person's far more likely to read it if they feel like you want their opinion mm-hmm. about what is said there. Yep. And if, if you take the, the approach that there's a message here for you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Gary, thank you so much. What a breath of fresh air. I love this book. The title's fantastic. Way to go, B&H. For coming up with that title. By the way, let me just say, only authors are going to understand this, but way to go B&H for not saying, well, let's write another five love languages for teens and single people and for the CEO, <laughs> the five languages of love for the CEO. Let's, you know, for coming up with a, a unique new yeah. title for a separate book is a fantastic one. I love it so much. Well, thank you. Good to be with you guys. Absolutely. And keep up the good work. Amen. Okay? Definitely will. will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, Rebels, wasn't that a good one? Oh, my goodness. Man, I really love Gary Chapman. He is so wise. He's got so much good stuff. Too much good stuff. Thank you so much to Gary for coming on the podcast. Thank you to you all for sharing the podcast. We grew 20% last month. That is a huge jump in one month. Man, I was so stoked. That means there's a ton more of you listening. Welcome to the podcast. Special thanks to all you for sharing this with your friends and family. And special thanks to the Voice of the Martyrs, helping those being persecuted for our gospel with resources, Bibles, materials around the world for more than 50 years. Persecution.com is their website. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House and when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.